Thanks for continuing to sing. Um, good job. Uh, before we begin tonight, go to summer conference. Seriously, I don't think you guys can begin to understand how great summer conference is. And I'll say just two final things. You haven't experienced RUF until you've been to summer conference. You need the big picture. Also, the last night always has a dance party on the beach, which is just like, how often do you get to do that? Go to summer conference. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you will hold us fast. Uh, thank you that you have given your son for us, um, to be like us, to be one of us, to be given for us. Lord, we um, are grateful that we get to be with you uh, because of him. And we pray that you would help us tonight to know him more and be more like him. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are going to read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be jumping around a little bit so you can listen or try to follow along. Um, I was glad to hear that tonight was the end of uh, uh, the online courses. I had somebody tell me just like an hour ago that they had 14 assignments that were incomplete and that was what they were going to do. Um, I, I don't know how that happens, but I, I actually, I kind of get it with online stuff. Um, I thought the reason uh, so many people are not here tonight was because we're talking about singleness and it's the gift that nobody wants. Um, but we'll talk about that. Well, that's, that's what we're talking about tonight as we continue our relationship series. We're going to talk about singleness. Uh, and why it's important, and what we should think about it. So uh, let's read, uh, starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. Now concerning the matters about which I wrote to you, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all whereas I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And then we'll cut over to verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Uh, were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who has called... For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. 
Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one, by, as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. That is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is, an is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries is uh, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. All right, so that is a uh, quite a chunk of scripture, and it gives us. Uh, a lot, actually. Uh, it, it doesn't just talk about singleness, but kind of the passing away of this world and the new economy of God and, and what the coming of the Lord Jesus now means for our present lives. But we're going to be talking about uh, singleness tonight. Um, I don't want you to worry about us talking about singleness. I'm not going to tell any of you to break up with your current boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, nor am I going to tell you that you are bound to a life of loneliness. Uh, that's not exactly what singleness means. But as we begin, I will say there are some inherent challenges uh, to this topic. And one is the fact that I'm not single. Um, I'm married. Actually, 10 years next week. Woo! Yeah. A week, Good job, bro. a week in a couple days. <laughs> a week in a couple days. Yeah. Um, but, but that comes with some inherent challenges, and, and uh, that means that I may not be as sensitive to singleness as I could be. That doesn't mean I'm not trying, <laughs> but please give me some grace for that. Um, one of the other challenges with that uh, is uh, that this, this topic actually is just kind of difficult to discern in Scripture. It's not necessarily that it's not plain. It's just that even just the passage that we read is kind of like, well, is singleness good or is it not good? Is marriage good or is it not good? And there's 
it could seem like there's this back and forth, but we're going to try to address that some here. Um, one of the other challenges is simply this. It's, it's actually just kind of that there's sort of a couple of different competing cultures, uh, even on campus here. Uh, so one of those cultures uh, would be to stay single and, and mingle. <laughs> Uh, stay single for your own reason. Stay single because your career is more important. Stay single because uh, you want to be able to play the field. You want to be able to do whatever you want in your dating life. You want to be able to have sex with whoever you want. Um, I see that as a prevalent idea on culture. None of us should ever think, uh, if you are a Christian, you should never think that you are unaffected by the culture around you. And if you are not a Christian here, uh, you shouldn't think that you're better than the culture. In many ways, all of us are products of the culture we are from. Uh, one of the other cultures, though, uh, one of kind of like the other messages I think we often hear, not just, not just on campus, by the way, but this is all around us, uh, maybe especially in the Christian world, is that uh, marriage is like the goal of the Christian life, or it's the center of the Christian life. Uh, as we talked about last week, even as much as we tried to build up marriage and talk about the good of it and how it pictures the gospel and how it's this wonderful way that God sanctifies us, we talked about how that's just not true. Marriage is not the center of the Christian life, and it's not the goal of the Christian life. Um, so, uh, tonight, first I want to address what singleness is. I want to talk about what it actually means uh, to be single or stay single for some time, or whatever that is. What is singleness? And then we'll talk about several myths about singleness. And then last, we're going to talk about what the value of singleness is. Why it can actually be good uh, and worthwhile to consider it. So, uh, what is singleness? Well, singleness, uh, first and foremost, is a state of being for the glory of God. Just like anything else in our lives. You know, I'm not sure if we said this last week, um, but marriage is the same. Whatever childhood is the same. Whatever state we find ourselves in, and this is a lot of what Paul is getting at uh, in those, those later verses, uh, is that whatever state we find ourselves in, our lives are about glorifying God. Uh, Paul says in verse 24, So brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And he goes on to talk about this in the rest of the chapter as it relates to marriage and betrothal, uh, and not just singleness. And his main point in these paragraphs is that whether you choose to say, stay single or find yourself single, uh, are married or get married, uh, live for the Lord. That's Paul's main point here. So, Singleness is first about glorifying God. Um, to further define singleness, though, uh, we need to consider everything Paul says here about singleness and sex. Right? So singleness is not uh, necessarily just not being married. I think maybe that's how we tend to think of it. Paul's idea of singleness is that we wouldn't be married... <clears throat> and in long-term uh, relationships, which are sexually or emotionally and spiritually, therefore, compromising. Uh, his idea here is that we would live lives of sexual integrity and emotional integrity. 
Um, now, one of the reasons he gives for getting married, even if you desire to stay single, uh, is your lack of self-control. I, I say yours. That's kind of what he says here in the text. Not, not implying that any of you have lack of self-control. Um, and so it actually, it is, it's a good reason to get married. Uh, sometimes we sort of like poo-poo that. Um, but the fact is that the scripture teaches that marriage is a place uh, for healing, for restraint, even of sexual desire, because it meets it in a way that actually is within covenant and pleasing to God. That actually is a way for us to glorify God. Um, so then singleness stands on another side of marriage then as being sexually um, in, integral. Am I saying that right? Right, practicing a sexual and emotional integrity. Okay, so singleness is not just being not married. Uh, it's not being married with sexual integrity for the sake of Christ. <clears throat> um, so like we said before, we can stay married, or sorry, we can stay single uh, because we want to not have to be, you know, bound to somebody, not have to live for somebody else, not have to serve somebody else, or because we want to gratify ourselves and uh, continue in long-term relationships, which are compromising, or, or short-term relationships, which are compromising, right? There, there can be any number of reasons. But the main thing here for Paul is that we are living for the Lord, like we said. So there's a difference too between having a singleness which is based on selfishness and a singleness which is born out of dedication to the Lord. Um, one more thing, and we're going to come back to some of these ideas. Some of this we're going to like keep kind of circling back on. So don't think that's all there is to say about this. Uh, singleness, as Paul talks about it here also, is a current state. It's a current state, right? Uh, in these passages, he talks about people who are currently unmarried or widowed. And he addresses those who are not yet married, but are betrothed. That was kind of like a, an engagement period uh, in the ancient world. Um, so he's talking to people in, in whatever state they are, right? And saying, serve the Lord as you are. But it's a current state that he's talking about. He recognizes that there are people who are unmarried, people who might get married, people who have been married but are now uh, widowed. And he says plainly that if you are single, great. And if you choose to marry, you haven't sinned. That's a good thing. But it means that this state can change. The state of singleness can change. It's not necessarily fixed. Uh, we, we sometimes, I, I think maybe often, we get this idea that singleness is like this lifelong vow that we have to take, it's, or it's like some sort of condition, like a disease that you catch and like can't get rid of or something like that. And that's not the case here. Um, singleness can be for a season. And actually many of you are in that season, right? Even just being in college, even just being not married, you find yourself in that season. Uh, last, I want to say as a way of defining it, singleness is a legitimate way of life. I think almost in our world, it seems like incomprehensible to, to even begin to think that singleness might be a way of life. Uh, to think that a singleness with sexual integrity 
and emotional integrity could begin even to be a healthy way of living. But according to the scripture, it is. Um, and that brings us to some of the myths about singleness. Right, we want to break some of these myths about, about singleness and expose them. Um, you know, some, sometimes we think that uh, singleness can't be a legitimate way of life, a legitimate way of living, because it's just too hard. Um, maybe if you find yourself desiring very much to get married, uh, which is a good desire. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, maybe it seems impossible to foresee your future being a good one if you were single. And so you would maybe do anything rather than let that happen. Or you think you're going to, if it is going to happen, you're going to have to be miserable for the rest of your life. Well, actually, I think we need to consider uh, not only that scripture tells us life is not found in other people alone, right? The source of life is Christ. We actually can live uh, in a state as single and find satisfaction in Jesus. What is it he offers to the woman at the well but living water? What is it he offers to us but abundant life? We actually can find satisfaction in Jesus. Um, we, we can be satisfied and chaste. Uh, one myth about singleness is that it's impossible to be happy. And so that's maybe a different aspect of what we just said. But I want to offer it as this, that uh, within our culture, we kind of have this idea. And this has not always been an idea in every society. This is not like a universal truth, but we have this idea that happiness consists in finding someone who completes us, right? And as we've said all throughout this series on relationships, God has designed us to be in relationship with other people. It's not enough to only be in relationship with God, right? Like if you live on a desert island all by yourself, chances are you're probably going to go crazy or be really depressed or something because God has made us to live with other people. But that doesn't mean romance is the center of life. It doesn't mean... Uh, that we have to have some sort of romantic relationship to satisfy us, right? Like almost every movie, whether it's a true drama or a romantic comedy or whatever else, so, so many of the movies we find ourselves uh, inundated with are all about finally finding someone who accepts us or who satisfies us, right? Like we finally have this like epic love story to fall into, um, most relationships don't really work like that in real life anyway, but also it's just, it's just not true. Uh, the Lord says that he can satisfy us and that romance is not necessarily the thing to do it. Sex is not the most satisfying thing in the world. And yet a lot of what we find, maybe that we believe, and certainly that the world all around us believes in the church, out of the church, whatever, is that we need some sort of epic love story to save us, to make us happy. Um, there's more to this idea, too, that singleness uh, means it's impossible to be happy. We often get this idea of 
um, being alone and single, right? Part of the world that we live in now is one where uh, our, our biological or our nuclear family or some, some sort of set of family that we have, if you're adopted or whatever else, some set of family that you have grown up in, uh, especially maybe in Christian circles, that's, that's like the center of life. That's the center of the world. And we're taught that it's supposed to be that way many times. We're taught that that's good, that we should let that be everything to us. Except then we grow up and go to college and move three states away. And we find ourselves living apart from everything we thought life was supposed to be about. And yet, uh, there is a bigger family than that. Jesus says in the Gospels, uh, when his family comes looking for him and people come and say, Jesus, your, your family, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to talk to you. And he says, who is my mother and my brothers and my sisters? It's those who do the will of God, right? Jesus himself, he, he stretches out the arms of family to encompass a lot more than just who we're born to and our siblings. He gives us this bigger relationship to be involved in this bigger family to belong to. And in that, we need to understand that whatever sort of cultural values we take on, we've got to be discerning about them. Romance is great. Family is great. And yet, both of them can be idols. Both of them can take places in life of the Christian that they're not meant to take. And unfortunately, when we do that uh, without discernment, when we do that uncritically, it can make it actually seem like singleness is impossible because for some reason, uh, all of happiness in life depends on a romantic relationship. And for some reason, we get this idea that being single means you move entirely away from your family, which is not always true. Um, but even if you do, we get this idea that you're just going to be sitting alone in your apartment every night, right? Which again is not necessarily true. Um, Another myth about singleness, it's a gift. Uh, okay, that actually is not entirely a myth, but uh, here's what I want to say about this. What we often take that to mean is that if singleness is a gift, that means it should be easy. That means it should be easy, right? Paul says as much that it's a gift here in this passage. Uh, he, he gives us this idea here that um, it's a good thing to be single. And if you have self-control, if you have a desire to be single, if you find yourself providentially single, it's a good thing and you're able to be dedicated to God. But it doesn't mean that it's easy. Right? So here's like the other side, again, of singleness, especially in certain church worlds, is that we think we're being called to singleness and we think it'll just be a breeze. And then six months later, after you've like taken some sort of vow, you know, uh, you find yourself like languishing <laughs> because you think you'll never date again or you'll never get married or something like that. It's actually not easy. But that doesn't mean that it's worse than marriage. That doesn't mean that uh, just because it's not easy that you'll be alone for the rest of your life. So it is a gift, um, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Even people who are called to singleness will have 
some struggle with that. And what that may mean for you is uh, maybe you're considering singleness or maybe you just are single right now. Maybe that's just where you find yourself in God's providence. Is that it may not be easy, right? And that's okay. But still there's a call on us to, to live to the Lord in whatever state we find ourselves and not rush out of it. Right? Paul says you don't need to seek to change your status. You won't find satisfaction in something else. It doesn't mean you're not called to where you are at the moment. It doesn't mean that we uh, find relationships that are unhealthy or ungodly just because we no longer feel called or because it's not easy. There's a bit more to it than that. Uh, one of our myths is also that you are called to singleness. Well, again, that's actually kind of true, right? Paul gives us this idea here as well. Um, But it's important that we think through what calling is. Sometimes we get this idea, and actually this is really more of what the myth is uh, for this point. Sometimes we get the idea that we are called to something because we have this sort of like internal desire for it. Uh, We get a feeling in our chest when we think about that thing. Uh, We often do this with all sorts of things, you know, careers or mission work or relationships. I'm I'm called to you or something like that, right? And sometimes we do it with singleness. Uh, But as we've said before here, and as as Paul is talking to people about things like self-control, and it's better to marry than to burn with passion, right? Um, And finding yourself in a certain place, maybe if you're widowed, as, as he's writing to this congregation, uh, calling is actually a lot more practical than we make it out to be. Uh, even for pastors, right? Maybe you've heard pastors say, I've been called to a certain work. I can't speak for every tradition, but in my tradition, and I know in others, um, that means we actually had some body within God's larger church. We had some body of believers. We had some uh, group of churches or a church say, We want you to come here. We are extending a call to you, right? It's actually a lot more practical. So when it comes to being single, I'm going to kind of define that sort of calling uh, with several things that Paul says here in the sort of general framework that uh, Christian experience has given us. Uh, Calling can be summed up in three things. Desire, ability, and circumstance. So desire, ability, and circumstance. You may be called to singleness if you want to be single. But there's more to it than that. Uh, There's also apparently this element of a sort of self-control, an ability to stay single. Right? You can have desire to do something and not have the ability to do it. And that might mean you're not called to do that thing. If you want to be the world's best violinist, uh, and you've never played violin before, and you're 40, you probably don't have time to become the world's best violinist, right? Like you actually just don't have the ability currently, and you don't have enough time to catch up. So those two things have to go together. And then circumstance is actually something that can play into this as well. Paul, as he's writing to these Christians in Corinth, he's telling them that, it's better to stay single 
or it's good to stay single uh, in the present circumstance that they find themselves in, in the present distress. He's saying that in the situation you find yourselves in, it will be a lot more convenient to serve the Lord without the worldly cares of a family. So we find there this other element of it. You may not always find yourself in a place where singleness is needed. You may find that you, uh, like pe people addressed in this letter, burn with passion. And so marriage may be a necessity for you. And by the way, marriage is, is good. Like we built that up. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. But we built that up a lot last week. And we have to remember Paul is not saying uh, marriage is bad because he's saying singleness is good. Um, and, then you, and then you may need to look to see if you have a desire to stay single as well. Now, <clears throat> uh, one thing that we have to consider with this is that God's providence, God's control of the world, it often reveals to us a calling. Sometimes we find that we have an ability and the circumstance but we don't have the desire. And I think particularly with singleness, particularly with singleness, this is often one of the things that happens to us. We may be able to live a chaste life devoted to God, glorifying him in the way that we find ourselves. It may be our circumstance that uh, either we are in a, literally in a location where it's not an option or literally in a family situation where it's just not an option or right we we can think of various circumstances that would make this the case but actually you desire very much to be married and yet in god's providence he reveals a sort of calling to us he he may reveal to you right now that if you're not married his calling on your life is that you glorify him as you are Sometimes this is one of the harder providences in life to deal with. Um, and yet, as we'll come back to, again, we're going to kind of circle back again on this idea, is not reason to think that God doesn't love us or that there's not good uh, even in this life or enjoyment to live in this life. So... Uh, one of the myths, and we've just got a few more, one of the myths about singleness is that singleness is a vow you make to keep forever. Uh, Paul does not talk about singleness that way. Remember, we've already said he's talking to people who currently find themselves in that situation. And yet he says, but if you marry, good on you, mate, right? You haven't sinned. Uh, that is also a good thing. And he has spent plenty of time in other letters building up marriage. That can change, and we shouldn't assume that it is inherently an eternal state for us. Okay, our last uh, myth here is that you're single because God wants you to give up everything and love him before he gives you someone. Uh, well, first, that's basically prosperity gospel. That's not how God works. God doesn't give us good things because we earn them. He doesn't form us into someone so that we can be loved. Where do we ever get that idea in Scripture? Actually, God 
wants to give us himself more than anything. His desire is that we would know him, love him, and enjoy him. Um, Grace Thornton uh, has this uh, in, in her website or on her blog uh, called Grace for the Road. Uh, she has an article about singleness. She has several articles about singleness. Um, but in one, she talks about someone who had a poem on their wall that a youth pastor had given them a long time ago. And it was about that very idea that God is making you someone special so that this waiting period is really about you becoming someone special so God can give you someone special. Uh, in, in her blog article, she says this, I had that poem on my bulletin board all through high school, the one where God was telling me to fall in love with him first, and then I would be able to fall in love with a husband later. Who wrote that poem anyway? Pretty sure it wasn't God. When Jesus was here on earth, the crowds would follow him because they saw he gave good things. But that's not what he wanted. He wanted their hearts for himself. So he would turn to them and say things like, if you don't love me so much that every other relationship in your life looks like hate by comparison, you can't follow me. Uh, what we need to see is that singleness is not a waiting period. It's not because you've done something wrong. It's not because you're missing something. God doesn't give us good things because we do good things. Singleness is simply a, a place where we find ourselves in God's providence. And it's a time in which we can be devoted to God without the distraction of marriage. Please don't take distraction there in a negative way. But it's a time we can be devoted to God without the cares of the world, without the cares of a husband or wife and children. And that should impact uh, not only the way that we date, but it should impact the way we see God. Is singleness a gift to us? Is it a time when we fellowship with God in a particular way? Uh, listen to this quote from Paige Benton Brown from her article, uh, Singled Out for God. Paige was a, a former RUF employee, actually. She says this, Accepting singleness, whether temporary or permanent, does not hinge on speculation about answers God has not given to our list of whys, but rather on celebration of the life he has given. I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I am too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me, because this is his best for me. It is a cosmic impossibility that anything could be better for me right now than being single. Uh, whatever state you find yourself in, and however maybe that contradicts your desires, and whatever state you find yourself in when you get out of college, and, and somebody was just telling me recently that they feel like they're behind because they're still not engaged, and they, they think, you know, definitely by the time they get out of college, they're like, they've got to be engaged or it's just way too late. But we've got to remember that life starts now. Life is going. God doesn't have us in a waiting tank. His best for you is wherever he has you. His very best for you is wherever he has you. In his providential care and love, he has you right where he wants you to be. Okay, so last briefly, let's talk about the value of singleness. Uh, singleness is actually like marriage, but in a different way, a wonderful way to reflect the gospel. 
no matter who you are attracted to, and sometimes that's why we find ourselves to be single, because uh, it would not be godly for us to be in relationship with the person we're attracted to, with the gender we're attracted to. Uh, no matter who you're attracted to or if you're attracted to anybody, your singleness can be about the gospel. Even in your singleness now as students, unmarried, you can find that you're not waiting for life to begin. You're actually uh, waiting for Christ to return. And in the meantime, you're living with him, able to enjoy him, able to partake of him, able to live among his people and serve him. Uh, the call to live in our vocation, as, as Paul talks about in the uh, verses there in the teens of this chapter, the call to live in your vocation as God has called you is not meant to be a distraction from your loneliness or a way to bide time. Right? Like he doesn't say, just, just keep on going down the path that you're on, and then maybe you won't think about it so much. That's not what he's getting at at all. The kingdom is not like a consolation prize of which marriage or a relationship is the real thing. The kingdom and God himself at the center of that is the center of the Christian life, right? Like your life is happening now. And if you graduate without being engaged, your life will still be happening and God can still be at the center of it. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, seeking the kingdom is not a healthy habit that we should develop to help us not think about the thing that we really want. It is the lifelong gift to Christians in whatever relationship status they find themselves in. It's actually in Jesus where we find abundant life. It is in seeking the kingdom where we live out a good life, the good life. Um, and as a matter of practicality, it's it's simply a wonderful time to serve. Not to be used, please don't misunderstand me, but to serve. To serve, to dedicate yourself uh, to the things of God in a way that you just can't when you're married. And by the way, marriage is a thing that you can dedicate yourself to, to the glory of God. Um, but as an example, uh, one of my colleagues who does RUF in Tennessee, he said that, uh, he, he didn't get married until he was 33, and he had started RUF uh, as a campus minister already before that. And he says that before he got married, he could stay out on the dorms really late and like play video games with people and play music and have fun, essentially, right? Uh, but also he was a lot less sensitive and he made people cry more, <laughs> right? But then he got married and he became a lot more sensitive and wasn't able to stay out as late and hang out with people in the same way that he did both come with different sanctifying effects. Both come with different abilities. It's not that one is necessarily better than the other, but both come with different gifts of God. So it's a good time for us to serve and even to worship. It's a good time to dedicate yourself to prayer when you find that your time isn't taken up with uh, a spouse or children we find that we actually are able to spend time with God and others in a different way. I think maybe that's kind of hard to imagine um, as you are now, but take advantage of it. Enjoy it. And, and then when you're married, enjoy that. Um, both are good.
Um, please let me know if you have any questions about this. Uh, I'd love to talk more with you about it. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to pray and sing and be done. Please hang out for a little while.